Chapter four of More About Pixie by Mrs. George Dehorn Vesey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dread. The foot refused to heal, and one morning a well-known surgeon followed Dr. Horton into the sick room. The very sound of his name was as a death knell to the girl in the bed, but she controlled herself by a mighty effort and strained every nerve to watch the faces of her attendants during the examination which followed she knew that they would keep up appearances in her presence and so long as possible hide the worst from her knowledge but if she appeared unsuspicious they would perhaps be less careful and a stray word an interchange of glances might show the direction of their thoughts she lay perfectly still not even flinching with pain when the diseased bone was touched for the tension of the mind was so great as to eclipse bodily suffering but the cool business-like manner of the great surgeon gave no hint of his decision while dr horton was as cheerful whitey as serenely composed as on ordinary occasions the cage was replaced over the foot the bedclothes put in order a few pleasant commonplaces exchanged and the trio adjourned for consultation trained to their work of self-repression not one of them had given the slightest hint of what was feared but their precautions were undone by the thoughtless haste of the watcher outside miss munns was hovering about the landing awaiting the verdict and trembling at the thought of the news which she might have to send to her brother when the door opened and the surgeon came towards her dr horton and the nurse followed and before the door was closed behind them an eager whisper burst from her lips can you save it must you ampute before the word was completed the surgeon's hand was over her lips whitey brought to the door with a bang and three pale faces stared at each other in consternation had sylvia heard could she have overheard that was the question which was agitating every mind they strained their ears for a cry from the sick-room but no cry came whitey looked at the doctor and made a movement towards the door and he bent his head in assent yes go in as if you had forgotten something she may have fainted poor child it was enough to make her tears of remorse were standing in aunt margaret's eyes but she waited silently enough now while whitey re-entered the room and strolled across to the window to pick up the book in which she wrote the daily report she smiled at sylvia as she passed and sylvia looked at her quietly quite quietly and the dark eyes showed no signs of tears whitey went back to the doctors with lightened face and eased their minds by a definite assurance she heard nothing she's lying quite still and composed she cannot possibly have heard they turned and went downstairs to the dining-room sylvia heard their footsteps die away in the distance the opening and shutting of the door the brown eyes shone with unnatural brilliancy 
the hot hands were clasped tightly together beneath the sheet god she was crying deep down in her soul do you really mean it i've been very wicked often i've forgotten you and taken my own way but i'm so young only twenty-one don't make me lame i'll be good i'll think of other people i'll be grateful all my life don't make me lame think what it means to a girl like me to lose her foot i have no mother nor brothers nor sisters and father is far away it would be so dreadful to be shut up here and never never run about any more have pity on me don't make me lame it was a cry from the depths of her heart very different from the formal prayers which she was accustomed to offer morning and evening a plea for help such as she would have addressed to her dear earthly father in any of the minor difficulties of life but in this great crisis of her fate she must needs go straight to the fountain of comfort the great physician who was able to save the soul as well as the body all the rest of the day as she lay so quietly on her pillows she was talking to him pleading for deliverance setting forth pathetic girlish arguments why she should be spared the coming trial when the thought arose of many others younger than herself who were leading maimed lives she thrust the memory aside as something which could not be faced and her lips refused to utter the words which she had been taught to affix to her petitions nevertheless not my will but thine be done i can't say it lord i can't mean it she cried tremblingly not yet forgive me and be patient with me i'm so frightened and even as the prayer went up the assurance came into her soul that the heavenly father would understand and show towards her the divinest of sympathy and patience for some reason which she would have found difficult to explain to herself sylvia felt an intense disinclination to let her attendants know what she had overheard she perceived that they were more than usually tender towards herself and they on their part were puzzled by the quiet of the once restless patient she grumbled no more about small unpleasantnesses oh how small they seemed she was content to lie still and think her own thoughts and seemed to have lost all interest in the ordinary events of the day only once in the twenty-four hours did a smile light up the set face and that was when bridgie o'shaughnessy appeared for her afternoon visit and seated herself by the bedside on one of these occasions a week after the surgeon's first visit whitey went out for her daily walk and sylvia watched her go and peered anxiously round the screen to make sure that the door was really shut then she stretched out her hand and gripped bridgie by the wrist it was a very thin feeble-looking hand but the grip had nothing feeble about it it was almost painful in its strength and the brown eyes had a glazed misery of expression which made bridgie tremble at the thought of what was to come bridget o'shaughnessy you call yourself my friend will you tell me the truth 
i'll not promise that me dear i'll not deceive you about anything if i can help it but you are an invalid and there are some questions which you should not ask me only the doctor should answer them but sylvia went on with her story as if she had not heard the protest the other morning sir alfred heap came to see my foot he said very little about it to me and after examining it went out of the room to consult with dr horton aunt margaret was waiting for them on the landing and they were not quick enough in shutting the door i heard what she said to-morrow morning sir alfred is coming again bridgie is he going to cut off my foot he is not darling he's going to give you chloroform and do something to the bone to try to make it sound and healthy again and if that fails will he cut it off then he will operate again and go on trying as long as he dares and if everything else fails then yes sylvia said bridgie gently downstairs in the dining-room miss munns had been consulting with whitey as to how the patient was to be prepared for the ordeal of to-morrow and by whom the news should be broken whitey had taken the task upon herself with the unselfish heroism of her profession but her pretty face was worn with the strain of this long anxious case and bridgie's heart had ached for her in her painful task now in the midst of her own agitation she felt a thrill of unselfish joy that she had been able to take one burden at least from those heavily laden shoulders sylvia knew not only of the ordeal of the morrow but also of that nightmare dread of what might have to follow she had known it for a week past and had lain quietly on her bed with all the horror and misery of it locked up in her own heart such restraint seemed almost incredible to the outspoken irish nature but bridgie's words of admiration brought an added shade over the invalid's face no it was not bravery it was cowardice i was like an ostrich hiding my head in the ground for fear of what i might see i literally dare not ask until it came to the last moment oh bridgie what a week it has been going to sleep with the weight on my heart waking up and thinking what is it what is it and the shock of remembering afresh i lay and thought it all out never to be able to run nor bicycle nor skate nor dance nor even walk without crutches to dread going upstairs to be cut off from girls of my own age because i could not take part in their amusements to hear people say poor thing and look pitifully at me as i hobbled by i've tried to be resigned and take it like invalids in books but i can't i feel desperate bridgie suppose it was you how would you feel i should cry myself ill for two or three days and then brisk up and be thankful that if it was one foot it wasn't two said bridgie quaintly that is if i were quite certain about it but i never believe in disagreeable things until they have really happened 
hope for the best as long as you can you have clever doctors and nurses and you will have a better chance if you keep up your spirits sylvia shook her head hopelessly it's easy to be philosophic for someone else i could preach beautifully to you bridgie if you were lying here instead of me but the suspense is so hard to bear i feel as if i could not live through another week like the last have you ever known what it was to drag through the days with a nightmare of dread growing bigger and bigger nearer and nearer to look ahead and see your life robbed of the things you care for most to hope against hope while all the time your heart is sinking down 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 until it is just one great big ache clouding out the whole world yes i know said bridgie quietly i have never had a bad illness but my trouble came to me in a different way sylvia and my time of suspense was not days but weeks and months i might almost say years except that even my hopes had died out before that time arrived the two girls looked at each other intently and the blank depression on the invalid's face gave place to one of anxious sympathy you mean of course that it was a mental trouble could you tell me about it bridgie do you think i don't want to force your confidence but i am so interested in you and it would do me good to be sorry for someone beside myself was it a love affair i cared for him but i'm afraid he could not have liked me very much said bridgie sadly i have never spoken of him except to esmeralda and one other person but i don't mind telling you dear if it will be the least bit of help to you now we seem to know each other so well that it seems absurd to think we had not met two months ago it was just someone i met one time when i was visiting and when he was ordered abroad he asked if he might write while he was away i was very happy about it for i had never seen anyone i liked so much and we wrote to each other regularly for over a year they were not love letters just quite ordinary sensible telling the news but there was always one little sentence in his which seemed to say more than the words and to tell me that he cared a great deal if a stranger had read it he would not have understood but i knew what he meant and i used to skim over the pages until i came to those few words and they were the whole letter to me looking back now i can see how i lived in expectation of mail day but suddenly his letters stopped when father was pronounced hopelessly ill i sent him a hurried note saying that we should have to leave the castle for all the money was gone and from that day to this i have heard no more it was very hard coming just then sylvia for the first few months i was not really uneasy though very disappointed i knew that a soldier's life is not always his own and that he might have been ordered to a part of the country where it was impossible to send off letters but then i read his name as taking part in some function in bombay and i knew that could be the case no longer i would not tell esmeralda to depress her in the midst of her happiness so i just sat tight and waited and the time was very long 
when it came near male day my hopes would go up for it's my nature to be cheerful the postman would knock at the door and my heart would go head over heels with excitement and it would be a circular or a bill wanting payment another time he would not come at all and that was worse for one went on drearily hoping and hoping and pretending that the clock was fast now i forget mail days on purpose for it is nearly eighteen months since he wrote last and i have given up all hope of hearing sylvia drew a deep sigh and knitted her forehead i can't believe that any one could forget you when he had once cared you are so different from other girls it is most strange and mysterious do you think that perhaps you won't mind my suggesting it the money had some influence with him perhaps he thought you were an heiress at any rate that your people were rich and influential and when he heard that you were poor he may have changed no said bridgie decisively no i won't think it i won't let myself think so badly of any one for whom i've cared so much i don't know what his reasons were and perhaps i never shall but i would rather believe the best some people don't find it easy to remember when they are far away and he might have a delicacy in writing to say that he had forgotten if i had still been miss o'shaughnessy of knock i should have sent just one more letter to ask if anything was wrong but i had too much pride to obtrude myself as bridgie of nowhere i have no reason to believe that my letter went astray and even if it had he would have written again if he had wished to hear he is alive and well i know so much and i'm well too and very happy with my boys i had a bad time of it and the suspense had more to do with making me ill than the hard work of that summer but now i have faced the worst and have far too much to do to be able to mope boys are such cheering creatures they give you so much work the very darning of their socks is a distraction it would distract me in a very different way said sylvia with a smile End of chapter 4